There on the mountaintop, Jesus is revealed in all his glory. He's seen for who he really is, God's son. This is a moment where the whole story comes together, a turning point. This is the moment where everything changes. Welcome to St Ninian's Church in Stonehouse. If we haven't met before, I'm Stuart and it's great to have you with us. If you enjoy our time together, then I'd encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel and like our Facebook page so you don't miss out on anything. You can find all our previous services on our website at saint-ninians-stonehouse.org.uk as well as information about who we are and what happens and more importantly, how you can join in. Today I'm delighted to be joined in our worship by May Fairley, so let's listen as May brings us God's word today. Luke, chapter 9, verses 28 to 43. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendour talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfilment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. When he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. The unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the impure spirit, healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John and James with him and went up onto the mountain to pray. Eight days after he said what? We've jumped ahead again and we've missed something very, very important. Jesus has just told his disciples for the first time that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. After all the good stuff, after all that teaching and healing and feeding and freeing, after the people thronging to see Jesus, things are about to get dark. And about eight days later, Numbers are really accidental in the Bible. They're used with purpose. They're filled with meaning. 40 days echoes 40 years. It's a long time. Longer than the lunar cycle that was used to measure the months. Three is about to become important, but it represents the Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Seven is the perfect number. A week. The six days plus the Sabbath it took God to create the world. 
But eight, that's new. Literally, it's new. And that's the significance of the eighth day. The first day of the week. The first new day. Jesus was raised to life on that eighth day. And this particular eighth day, we climb up a mountain with Jesus and three of his disciples, Peter, James and John, and Jesus prays. That's not unusual. Throughout the Gospels, these stories of Jesus, we see him often taking himself away from the crowds that followed him everywhere so that he could pray. Going up the mountain was one way to get some peace. It took more effort than most people would want to put in to follow Jesus up there. The mountain is also hugely significant in the bigger story of God's relationship with the people. Moses first met God on the mountain. He would climb the mountain to meet with God as the people wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. It was on the mountain that Moses received the commandments, the law in which the whole thing, the nation of Israel, was founded. It was also on the mountain that Elijah encountered God. The great prophet had been engaged in a conflict with the king and queen for ages and he got to the point where he'd given up. It was all just too much. He lay down under a bush and just gave up. God sent what Elijah needed, rest and food and water. And when Elijah was ready, he goes to the mountain. There's an earthquake and a great wind and a fire, but God isn't in any of those. God was in the still small voice. Mountains are places where people encounter God. They still are. Jesus goes up the mountain to pray. He goes away from his daily routine to deliberately encounter God. It's hugely important to him and he does it often. Being in God's presence, giving God his undivided attention, listening to what God has to say, it matters a lot. I guess that's what we do here when we join together in worship. At least it should be. I wonder how often we honestly set out with that intention. Do we actually think that we're going to meet God when we come to church or join in the online service? And even if we do, what do we think it'll be like? Peter, James and John had gone with Jesus to pray before, but it was never like this. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendour talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfilment at Jerusalem. This is a moment that's filled with symbol and significance. This is where the whole story comes together. Moses and Elijah are here for a reason. It was Moses who led the slaves out of Egypt. We call it the Exodus. He was the one who led their liberation from captivity. Elijah had a different job. Israel had fallen away from God. The Queen Jezebel worshipped Baal and many of the people had followed her. Elijah was the one who brought the people back to God. He ended a different kind of captivity. He liberated the people from their false god. Moses and Elijah were there at transitional moments where the people moved from captivity to liberation as God intervened to make things right again, to free the people from oppression. Moses isn't a big character in Luke's Gospel, like he is in Matthew's. Luke's Gospel is for people who aren't familiar with the story of Israel, people like us. But here, right in the middle, right at this transformational moment, that story matters. None of it makes any sense unless we see it in that bigger picture. We completely miss what's going on when they spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfilment at Jerusalem. For weeks now, as we've been working our way through Luke's story of Jesus, 
The idea of freedom of liberation has been there all along. Remember what Mary said when she went to visit Elizabeth just after the angel had visited her and she'd become pregnant. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Remember what the angel said to the shepherds on the hills outside Bethlehem. Do not be afraid. For see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a saviour who is the Messiah, the Lord. Remember what Jesus said in the synagogue in Nazareth. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Jesus' departure in our reading today points us to his death, but more than that, what is to come is a new exodus, a moment where God will intervene to liberate his people, and it will happen in Jerusalem. Here on the mountain, God's plan is revealed. Jesus. Jesus is God's plan. I'm always interested when people speak about God's plan. For centuries the church has wondered if God has set out exactly what will happen to each of us every day. We have sayings and proverbs about it. What's for you won't go by you. Here's the problem with that. It absolves us of any responsibility. The logical conclusion of that is part of the big lie. If we have no responsibility to act, then everything that happens, good and bad, is God's fault. It sees God's plan in entirely the wrong way. God's plan isn't to predetermine every moment of every life. God's plan is Jesus. A voice from the cloud, the voice of God speaks, and unlike at Jesus' baptism where only Jesus hears the voice, the disciples hear loud and clear, This is my Son whom I have chosen, listen to him. That's the plan. Listen to him. In him is departure. Exodus, liberation. Departure from the lies of the world. Departure from despots and dictators. Departure from domination and dominion. In him is freedom. In him is liberation from all that holds us down. In him is life. That's the plan. And there on that mountain, Jesus was transfigured. His true nature was revealed. They saw his divinity. But Jesus wasn't the only one changed that day. Those three men who climbed up a mountain would never be the same again. This moment was a turning point for them too. How could you witness this and not be changed? But transfiguration isn't transformation. It literally means to be altered in appearance. But transfiguration is about revealing Jesus' true nature. That's what in his glory means, in his true nature. There's another thread that runs through our epiphany journey. People avoiding being changed. The people at Nazareth try to throw Jesus off a cliff rather than hear what he has to say to them. Simon Peter tells Jesus to go away from him after the miraculous catch of fish because Simon Peter sees himself as a sinful man, unworthy to be in Jesus' presence. I wonder if we shy away from our transfiguration. 
I wonder if we're terrified of our true nature being revealed. Imagine people seeing all the wrong that we've done. All the thoughts in our heads, our desires, our anger, ambition. And yet all the evidence is that when Jesus looks at us, he sees God's creation. People living in darkness who just need some light. Sheep without a shepherd. Not broken or bad. Just lost. Perhaps what we need most of all is to see ourselves as Christ sees us. And there in the valley, life continues as it always has. Nothing has changed. The disciples who were left behind are still hesitant, still powerless, still unsure. There is much to do to transform the world, to bring freedom. But the exodus starts at the foot of the hill with a boy who's freed from the fits that torture him. Such is the way of the kingdom of heaven. The great movement of life, heaven's enthusiasm to bring healing to the world and to our people. And a saviour walks our way, moving from word to willing, from synagogue to sickbed, from promise to practice. How many bodies may have touched and lives changed? How many new starts for dead-end people? How many early mornings and late nights with the downtrodden and forgotten who all rose with the resurrection, new life, new attitude, new possibilities, and so many inglorious ways have those hands stirred in people's life, a protest, an anger, a passion for what's right and just that brings healing to the world and peace, a, a living, a truth driven by God's deep longing and full passion for our resurrection. This is the end of the beginning, the beginning of the end, and the beginning of a new beginning. It's the end of the beginning of Jesus' ministry, the end of his preaching, teaching and healing around Galilee. This is the end of his first demonstration of how love can bring new life, and why community matters, how those who are seen as worthless are God's priorities. It's the beginning of the end, an end which will see Jesus nailed to a cross by the powers of this world who can't stand the brightness of the light because it exposes their grasping and their lies. But this is the beginning of a new beginning. On the eighth day, there on the mountain, Three fishermen saw Jesus for who he really was as his glory, his true nature, was revealed. There on the mountain, they met the great prophets Moses and Elijah. There on the mountain, they heard the voice of God. This is the crossroad, the moment when everything shifts, where all things turn towards Jerusalem. Will we journey? Will we go with him and in that journey be transformed and transfigured into the people that God sees when he looks at us, his disciples, his followers, his bringers of a new way, a new life of liberation for God's world? Yeah.
God of love and light. As we stand on the threshold of Lent, we reflect on the journey we have followed, the celebration of your arrival and the start of your earthly ministry, while dreading the journey you are soon to take to the cross because of those who refuse to embrace your way of life. May we, like Peter, James and John, catch a glimpse of you, Lord Jesus, who the world needs to know so much in this hour. Lord God, we pray for our fragile and bruised planet. We lament that people in power continue to take from the earth without a care for the cost to your creation. God, it is as if the planet is crying out for relief in the floods of tears, the earthquakes trying to shake us to attention, the winds sighing when words fail. When it comes to caring for your creation, help us to see anew. Remind us to take only what we need, to ignore what we can do without, and to find ways to minimise our use of the precious resources of this world. Steer us away from a world driven by consumerism and greed towards a world which can know restoration and the benefits of Sabbath rest, cool down and be cleansed of its pollution. Lord Jesus, you came back down the mountain to share the good news, to heal, to teach, to provoke, to feed, to touch, to care. Inspire us, we pray, to be your voice, your words, your boldness, your life-giving and life-saving hands. Take us out of the clouds of pomp and ceremony and back down to earth. Guide us to where you need us to be so we may guide others to you. Hear us as we pray, and the words that you taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. God of mountaintop mystery, lead us on our way. God of daily duties, lead us on our way. God of all times and all places, earthly and eternal, lead us on our way from this time and stay with us as we journey on your way. God, creator, source and spirit, bless us as we take your way this day and every day. Mm-hmm.